listening to the Nutmeg Arena by the Nutmeg Assist. Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of the TNA podcast. Myself Prithvik, the host, and I'm joined by Chris, the co-host of the show. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good. Nice little break. Yeah, absolutely. Back on and, it now. Mm-hmm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I've been waiting for this for quite a while now because we have, <laughs> I mean, international breaks are normally quite boring, but this has been quite a busy one with all the injury news, all the ranting and stuff from fans on yeah. you know, players' health and stuff like that. But yep, that, that, that's a completely different topic that we might probably need to talk about in the future yeah. but let's get on then directly on to our agenda starting with international football germany spain six <laughs> nil wow did you see this coming not to that extreme i didn't but given the way germany have performed and the inconsistency within the performances i think it's probably been overdue if I'm being completely honest. I mean, don't get me wrong, they are 11 games unbeaten and some of the hype and the hysteria surrounding the national team could be considered a bit over-exaggerated. But given the manner and the inconsistency within the performances, I always felt there was a heavy defeat around the corner. Yeah, fair, fair enough. And I mean, I'd like to sneak in a question from our patron, Dieter Van Gogh. But just before that, I just wanted to tell you the XG of the game. Spain had 3.47 <laughs> compared to Germany's 0.12. And Germany's midfield was completely non-existent. Their defense was completely poor. Even the starting 11 wasn't perfect. They played, I mean, Joachim Lowe played Matthias Hinter as a right-back when he was a better centre-back. He played Robin Cox as part of the centre-back as well. So, coming on to Dieter's question, do you think... They should stick on to Hokim Law for the Euros, or do you think it's better for Germany to move on with a new coach? Um, no, I think they should stick with him just because there's no viable options right now to take over from him. Uh, I believe timing in football is everything, and I don't think they would get much out of sacking him now, considering that they are they have cemented the place within the tournament, and the tournament is basically around the corner in, t- in terms of in terms of how the the international fixture list is scheduled. So I think they should stick with him, but not because he is he, he is the man to take them forward, just purely because there isn't any replacements out there right now, as opposed but I do believe successful or not in next year's tournament, it should be his last tournament. There will be better options available if the if they get rid or if their relationship comes to an end in the summer as opposed to now. Yeah, and, and I certainly hope that they don't ring Jürgen Klinsmann again post the US. <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah, I don't I think I think that relationship's especially after his little uh, cameo appearance for Hertha Berlin last year, I think that relationship is well and truly over <laughs> between Germany and Klinsmann. But <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean that's that's the reason they've got to stick with Low now, um, is that I don't I don't believe I don't believe there's anyone ready and waiting to take over now. It will be interesting next summer if Hansi Flick was to have a season that it was to repeat the season that he did with Bayern Munich last year, whether he might consider the Germany job next summer. And maybe even Thomas Tuchel as well, depending on his situation at Paris Saint-Germain. But we'll come to to him later, surely. Yeah. And another question from Dieter again, Chris, on Germany. 
I mean, Hakim Lok completely fell out with the senior players that he, you know, completely threw away. I would say threw away from the national team, the likes of Matt Summers, Thomas Muller, Jerome Boateng. Do you think yeah. there is a chance that he recalls them, or do you think he should recall them? Well, based on Germany's difficulties at the moment, and the current problem is the fact that. That the the defense is compl- is a, is shambolic at the moment. Um, there's a lack of identity within the team, but it lo- it appears to me whenever I've watched Germany and I watched this game not live but afterwards that there's a clear it, it doesn't look like he knows what his best defense is in terms of personnel and he doesn't know whether to play a back three or a back four. So based on the current problems that are within the Germany team and based on Boateng's and Hummel's current form, then yeah, they should. They should be looking to get them back in. However, given the way, like you mentioned, given the way he handled it and the way he took them out of the team, I don't know if it's actually possible that they would come back. I mean, it was it was very ungracious considering how important all three players were to the to, not only to to the Germany squad at the time, but how important they are to and they have been to German football over the last 10 years, he would have to go to he would have to go cap in hand to them. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't think he will because of that. They should do, because they, there is a clear lack of leadership within the squad at the moment. But, obviously, there's, right. other, thing, there's other things to consider as well. I mean, their age. I mean, Germany are going to have one eye on the, the European ch- Championships in two, 2024, which they're hosting. So, whether to bring them back now would just be a short-term option. Surely it would be, but they have to start putting some plans in for not just next year's European Championship, but Qatar World Cup and then the European Championships that they're going to surely want to win, given the fact that it's in right. the home nation. Yeah, fair, fair. And I just want want to... To... Sorry, Riffert, just before we do move on, I just the Thomas Muller situation is slightly different, I would say, just given the uniqueness of his style of play and given his unique qualities as an individual, I actually think you have to play a certain style, a certain way to get the best out of Thomas Muller. And I do believe that's why he was sort of dropped from the team initially anyway. So to, to try and move on in terms of philosophy. So right. it probably wouldn't be the best idea to get Thomas Muller back involved. I know he's playing excellently for Bayern Munich and he's playing some of the best football of his career at the moment, but maybe that's partly down to the fact that he's not been involved with Germany as well. Right, yeah, that's that's a, that's a pretty fair point as well. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Niko Kovac didn't fancy Muller either because of his yeah. philosophy. Yeah. So the same with Carlo Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And moving on to the other side of the coin here, to Spain, I mean, again, it's part of Dieter's question. They have not been... Very thrilling under Luis Enrique, very perfect no. under Luis Enrique, but they're starting to gel, they're starting to get into shape, they're starting to find a good yeah. starting 11. And do you think Spain are one of the favorites in the Euros? No, I don't consider them the favorites, uh, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute as to as to why. But like you said, yeah, they, they, they've not been hugely impressive under Luis Enrique. And I, I, I don't think that sort of issue where it was Luis Enrique and then Roberto Moreno and then Luis Enrique taken back control helped the national team. However, I do think now they're in a place 
where this is probably the best they've been since they since that great that golden era, so to speak. And as well, I do, I want to point out when I, I don't think it's coincidental that Spain are actually getting better when Real Madrid and Barcelona appear to be at their lowest ebb. I was looking at through, looking through the Spanish squad and because because Barcelona and Real Madrid are struggling in the manner that they are, I think Luis Enrique is actually picking more players from different teams throughout the Spanish league, and I actually think that's going to play into Spain's hands. And if they can carry on that, if they can carry that forward to next year's tournament, I will, it, it will make them less predictable, and it it, it will give them an advantage. So if the likes of Villarreal and, and Real Sociedad keep up their form, then the players from the Spanish players from them teams are going to have to be considered, especially if Barcelona and Real Madrid continue in the form that they've that they've shown recently. And I think that'll play into Spain's hands. So that is certainly one advantage that they've got going for them at the moment. In terms of actually being considered favourites, no. And the reason being that there's just teams with better depth than them. Um, I, I make Spain. I make sorry. I make France the overwhelming favourites for the tournament next year. And I'm going to go full Boris Johnson here and put the teams into tiers. <laughs> and if I were, if we were going, to, uh, if we were making a tier three being hugely dangerous, I would make France in tier three and favourites for the tournament. And then in tier two, I would put Portugal and Belgium. And then I put uh, in tier one sort of teams such as England, Germany and Spain, teams that could win it, but not not considered uh, the the majority favourites. Yeah, that's again a fair call, I would say. I mean, you, the way you subdivided it into tiers was quite funny, <laughs> but yeah. And again, coming to another question from Dieter. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase this a bit because that probably makes it more clear. Who do you think is going to be the surprise team in the Euros next year? Yeah, good question. Uh, to be honest, the, the, way the, the way the tournament's formatted now, it, it favours the big teams in terms of it gives it gives the teams with the, the with the fair place fin obviously because now you can finish third within the group and still go through it gives the the teams with the better players more chance and more time to actually go through and actually uh, develop some form within the tournament so I don't think there's going to be an actual shock in terms of who wins it I do believe it will be France that wins it but if not one of the next two teams that I've mentioned, Portugal or Belgium. And it sounds it sounds crazy that I'm going to say this team because because of the nation that they are. But I'm going to say keep an eye on Italy. Now, to consider them a surprise within the tournament is quite shocking given the, uh, the success of the nation in, in terms of World Cups, etc. But they weren't in the last World Cup. They... They were that 2016, but they struggled, and, they, and and we we knew they were going to struggle in that tournament. 2014, um, they were they were shockingly bad. 2012 was they done well to get to the final, and but that was considered an overachievement. 2010, uh, they went out in the first round, and 2008 again they were they they, they weren't good whatsoever. So, but they've actually the. They've actually come. This this tournament could come at a perfect time for them. They've actually got some really good players at the moment. Italy, 
so I'm, I'm players that are going under the radar as well. I've seen you do a piece on Barella for Inter Milan uh, a few weeks ago in one of your data pieces, and that highlighted how good uh, he is. And they've got they've got some really good options in the midfield. The likes of Verratti, Locatelli's playing well. Stefano Sensi, Federico Chiesa. They've got Andrea Be- Be- Belotti up front as well as Ciro Immobile. So they've got depth as well, Italy. So for me, they're going to be the ones to watch out for. And and famously speaking as well, they're always they're, they're always dangerous when they're not considered one of the favourites, the Italians. Right. I mean, this would be the same team that I would also go with because I've been pretty impressed by the way how Roberto Mancini has managed to pick up Italy from quite a bad position and kind of reform the team with really good and really good and amazing footballers. So, yes, for me as well, I think Italy are the team to watch out next season in the Euros. Well, I always believe international football works in cycles. You can't always have an excellent 30... 30 players that are all very good to choose from. Sometimes you will go through stages uh, where you, you don't have that selection available to you. And I think over the last maybe five or six years or the period of 2010 to 2018, it was just one of those areas in which Italy just didn't really have that many good options available. But all of a sudden, over the last two years, you're seeing a lot more competition within Serie A. And like you said, Mancini's done a good job. He's just quietly gone about his business. They're winning games regularly and they've got options everywhere. I, w- I was looking at some of the players available. Yes, uh, obviously this is assuming that they stay they stay injury-free, of course, as it, as it does with all teams. But if they've got a full full set of players to choose from, and he's going to have he's going to have some squad. Roberto Mancini really is, and he's going to have different options possibility of taking players that can switch between systems as well which always helps in international tournaments yeah absolutely so moving on now from international football to club football to Spain specifically and one team who's kind of been revived as Atletico Madrid after last year's Champions League quarterfinal against Leipzig there were a lot of shouts on not just shouts, a lot of questions raised on Simeone and people were saying that he probably reached the peak with Atletico and it was probably time to move on. But the way he started this season has been terrific. Six wins, two draws, eight games played, 20 points, second in the table. The team on, on top of the table are Real Sociedad who have 23 points. They played 10 games as well. So, Atletico have two games in hand. They are three points above rivals Real Madrid, who played a game extra. And Barcelona, who's played the same amount of games as them, have, what, nine points less or eight points less? Or seven, I guess, yeah. I'm not sure. So, they are closing up the gap. And this is their best start to the season since their league-winning season in 2013-14. And... In that particular season, in their first eight games, they actually won every single one of them. 24 points. Yeah. This time, again, they've got 18 points, two draws. So, they just dropped six points. But it has been a terrific yeah. start for Diego Simeone. So, 
Chris, what do you think has changed from all the shouts and rambling that went on at the end of last season and the way Atletico played this season has also been different. So, what do you think has gone differently and what do you think has Simeone changed? <laughs> um, one name, João Felix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, uh, you've, you've made some very interesting points there yourself. Uh, we will we'll, we'll go back to start with um, the sort of the rumours and the the sort of gro- the groaner around Atletico Madrid towards the back end of last season uh, and the way they exited the Champions League. Obviously, I felt he did deserve criticism for the way they went out against Leipzig. I thought there was an opportunity for Atletico Madrid, given the way the, the tournament was reformatted, for them to go on and actually win it. But the, the opportunity w- wasn't taken. And he did show a bit too much stubbornness, maybe, or a bit, I don't know what the right word is, in that game. He didn't, he, he didn't, he didn't go for it when the opportunity came. And Leipzig would deserve a winners. So he did... He, the, the criticism was right. Obviously, I don't believe he should have got sacked because you know what you're getting from him. You know that he's going to guarantee Champions League football. And given the uh, the financial state of the club, Atletico Madrid needs Champions League football. So all those people saying that he should get sacked, well, who else are they actually going to get in to do a better job? It would, it would represent a complete change of style and philosophy and why... And why break that when you know he's it's worked for him and Atletico, uh, Atletico, sorry, for the last what ten years now. So I think the criticism was right. Given moving forward in relation to what has happened this season, yeah, it's been a fantastic start by them. I mentioned Joe Felix there. I think his partnership with Luis Suarez, and I know Suarez weren't available this weekend against Barcelona. And he still managed to get the job done, which was mentally, I think, was is going to be prove dividends for them because I think it was they needed to get over that hurdle of beating Barcelona, and they did do. But going back to João Felix's partnership with Luis Suarez, it, whenever I've seen them play this season, it's real. It's a real partnership. This it's starting to click for them as well. They've been brilliant so far, both of them. And I know João Felix has been exceptional, and it looks like it. He looks like he's earned his manager's trust as well. It looks like, and he's given Simeone no alternative really but to trust him with his performances. He, he, he truly has been fantastic, and it looks like this could be his season, especially if he carries on. But one of the things that you've mentioned there, what has changed? Whenever I watched Atletico last season or the season before, you will always know what you're going to get from them defensively. You know that they're going to be well organised. You know how good they they are in terms of pressing the ball and handing you off the ball and having that deep block. But when it came to their attacking, it always appeared to me like they, I don't want to go for, as far as saying they didn't know how to attack, but it didn't look like the players knew sort of what each other's position was when they were attacking. If you get, uh, if that makes sense, it, it looked like it had no structure compared to the defensive. It looked like they knew how to defend brilliantly. They looked like they they know each other's positioning, like defensively. But when it comes to attacking, it just didn't look like that fluidity was there. But this year it does, and I think that's been the major difference. And I think that's because of João Felix and Luis Suarez. 
and what they've brought to the team. They're being a lot more clinical. They're being a lot more decisive in the final third as well. And Simeone himself has shown a little bit more flexibility in terms of formation. They played the 5-3-2 this weekend against Barcelona. When I watched the highlights against Cadiz uh, before the international break, it looked like they were operating in a 3-4-3, but that can also go into a 5-3-2 as well. And it looked like they switched against Moscow in the Champions League. It looked at times they were playing a 4-3-1-2 or a 4-3-2-1, depending on what area of the ball that they were attacking with. So Simeone himself has shown that little bit of flexibility. The style hasn't changed. They are still defensive. They are still a defensive team. They are still a team that is going to sit back. But it looks like he's making the most of that partnership up front, which as long as they stay injury-free and COVID-free, then this could be their year. I really do think so. And I don't think I, I don't think they will get a better opportunity than this year, either if we're given the given the um, the inconsistency of Real Madrid and given uh, how bad yeah. Barcelona have been so far. Yeah, and you talked about Luis Suarez there. You look at yeah. one of the statistics this season, non-penalty expected goals per 90. From every from all the players who played more than one or yeah. more, than, more than 100 minutes, say more than 100 minutes, or you take just more than 17 minutes, 1-7. For all players yeah. who played more than 1-7, 17 minutes, Luis Suarez sits on top on the non-penalty expected goals per 90 statistic. And that shows that the way or the signing of Luis Suarez yeah. was a masterstroke and was the yeah, right fantastic decision signing. as of now. Fan- yeah. Fantastic signing, it really was. Bit bit daft of Barcelona not to include Atletico Madrid on their list of clubs that they didn't want Luis Suarez to go to. Bit of a funny story there, but yeah. Fantastic move for both parties, I think, involved. And again, I don't know about yourself as well. I was quite interested once we knew, once Thomas Partey had departed to Arsenal, I was quite interested to see how they would cope with missing him because he's developed into a top, top player and he was he was really important for Atletico Madrid. And I know Diego Simeone really relied on him given given his ability uh, to do assist assist and progressively pass the ball attacking wise but also defensively he was really good with his positioning and the way he, he covers space when uh, when not in position uh, possession sorry but I don't know if it, I don't know if it's too much of a coincidence but since Partey's left it seems to me that Koke has really come back into form and he's having a real, real surge of form at the moment. For he was, he was brilliant for Spain against Germany. He's been fantastic for Atletico Madrid. And it all, it, it, it's like it appears to me that he's been, he's been freed up a little bit because, because Partey's not there. And I mean, this guy, I mean, this guy is incredibly talented, and he's been off the boil probably for maybe the last twelve months or maybe even last two seasons. I mean, he's an Atletico Madrid legend his performances so far have gone under the radar because of Luis Suarez and João Felix but he's been fantastic he really has yeah yep. I mean Koke is one of the vastly underrated footballers on earth I mean people yeah. completely forget about him when, when they talk about some amazing midfielders so yeah that's a very very valid point again Chris and moving on from La Liga now to another question from Dieter again 
on PSG, do you think yeah. is the there is a probability that we see different champions in France this season? Um, no, I don't. To be honest, uh, I know the performance against Monaco and the nature and the way the defeat happened and the goals that they conceded was shockingly bad. Uh, no, I, I don't see it. Not because PSG is that good, mind. Just because I don't believe the other teams, the Monaco's, the Marseilles, the Lille's and the Lyons are actually good enough to take over uh, and good enough to put that consistency in place, which is required to win a league title. At the beginning of the season, I was quite intrigued by what would happen in France this year, given the fact that Lyon managed to keep their best players, but didn't have, but didn't qualify for Europe, so they wouldn't have that burden of playing European football this year. I thought maybe there might have been a bit of a bit more of a push from them, but they haven't been too good yet. They don't seem to have hit top form or got anywhere near any kind of form to put in a, a challenge, but. No, I just think PSG overall, they have been hampered a little bit by, by COVID um, and suspensions and injuries, but I, I believe in the end they will be too good. They're still four points clear, given the defeat to Monaco, but I still think, I still think they've got too much to be challenged. But I do, I, I, must, I must say with Rick, I do believe this will be Thomas Tuchel's last year at the club. Mm. I think given that, yeah, some of the... Uh, well, the public moaning about the transfers yeah. didn't help his situation with Leonardo. And I do believe no matter what happens, it, it will be his last season. And it actually, if they were to go out in the Champions League early, go out in this group stage, which is not sort of, is which is a possibility at this stage when we're recording. I mean, it, it could actually be brought to an end sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and that that would actually be poetic justice again because Thomas Tuchel ending his PSG job, waiting for the Euros to end, and then Germany coming on coming Maybe, yeah. and appointing. So that that would be a nice nice story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. So yeah, moving on to the last portion of this episode or the last segment of this episode, Erling brought Haaland. Three words. <laughs> Three amazing words. What a magnificent player. What a magnificent player. He didn't start against Seta Berlin. Came on. Dortmund was struggling. Came on from the bench. Said, all right, time to take over. Four goals. Job done. Hat-trick ball in his hand. <laughs> Ten goals for the season. Yeah. One, one behind Robert Lewandowski, who's sitting at the top. He says, game on. What a player, Chris. What a player. And... I mean, I don't know if we projected this last season, but what do you think has changed since he joined Dortmund? When do do you see any change in style that uh, Haaland plays, or do you think it's 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 just a natural progression? It's just natural progression for me. He, he's just a really talented boy. It really is. Uh, we've mentioned him before, and I've said he's got the he, he's got everything. Um, he's got size, physique, he's got movement, he's got pace, he's got technical ability. The way he strikes a football is phenomenal. Um, the way he gets in behind defences uh, is fantastic. Um, he really is a complete player. And 
he's at nowhere near. The scary thing is, he's nowhere near. The, he's not peaked yet. He's not peaked yet, and, that, and that's scary. Uh, this this is a lad that will reach. He will reach the pinnacle of football. There's no there's no question about it. Uh, as long as he doesn't get any kind of career threatening injuries, or he doesn't make the wrong move in terms of transfers, which I don't think he will. He seems to have a real level head headedness about him. What we're seeing is just the start of a a, fan, a fantastic football career. Really is. And again, this won't be the last time we speak about him this season. It might not even be the last time we speak about him this month. It, uh, he is that good. Not nothing surprising with surprises. Surprises <laughs> yeah, me with him. He's just yeah. It's getting to the point now, but even like you said there, he he comes off and sh- comes on the bench, wins, scores four goals, and wins the game. Uh, I mean, I didn't I didn't have I unfortunately I couldn't watch Bruce, the Borussia Dortmund game, but when when I looked at the scoreline, it's not a surprise to see him score four goals. And I think that's one of the biggest compliments I can give him, really. I look at, I score, uh, do you know what I mean? It's now getting to the point where, oh, Bushy Dortmund scores five. I wonder how many Haaland got. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, oh, Bushy Dortmund scored three or four. I wonder <laughs> if he scored. It's how many has he got. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. he, he's just, he's just an exceptional talent. He's going to be, he's going to, he's going to be amongst the world elite of football. He's going to be in that next sort of set of elite footballers that take over from Messi and Ronaldo that that mantle along with the likes of Mbappe he, he belongs in there he, he does belong in, in that bracket because he just keeps churning out goal after goal week after week and yeah. do you know what I mean maybe obviously people will argue he's in a better team so it's natural that he's going to score more goals but he scored goals for Salzburg as well. He scored an incredible amount of goals before he moved to Dortmund. People, let's not forget, he only moved to Borussia Dortmund in January. Do you know what I mean? And the amount of goals he scored for Salzburg before before that it was exceptional. Scored goals in the Champions League for Salzburg as well. So yeah, just a fantastic footballer. Can't really. It, we would we could sit here and just run out of words. Really trying to describe him. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. and, and this is and this is not going to be the last time that we will discuss Haaland. He's going to pop up again and again and again on our podcasts. So yeah. this is just the beginning. And statistically, data side, you look at that. You look at the charts in terms of non-penalty goals and assists per ninety. Erling Haaland is sitting in third. Behind Robert yeah. Lewandowski and Kylian Mbappe, when you look at the top five yeah. European leagues, that is massive. That is massive. He, you, you are sitting behind Robert Lewandowski, who's arguably the best footballer in the world right now, and on form, on form. And second, yeah. Kylian Mbappe, who's arguably the best youngster in the world right now. I mean, you can't really tell yeah. Mbappe as a youngster anymore because he's peaked beyond that. And the next yeah. player is Erling Broad Haaland. So you can say it's three faces. The best, who's who's a, who's a world-class player already. The next best, the next heir to the throne, Kylian Mbappe. And then the guy who's going to challenge the one who's, who's the next progression to the throne. So it is magnificent, like you said. I mean, you just run out of words. 
and there was someone who yeah. put out a metric or or a database on twitter recently I, i forgot who it was saying that the number of catches that he takes before shooting is very less i mean he takes sometimes shots first time and that is brilliant that is a brilliant quality yeah yeah and chris I, i would like to sorry go on yeah i mean i'd like sorry, to respect, go on. i would like to pose a tricky question to you to be honest yeah yeah go on if you if you had to pick one from kylian mbappe or erling haaland who would you go with based on based on you know everything uh, well based on the tactical maniac that I am it would depend on what formation I had to play but uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I think is a lot further along his development scale than what Haaland is they're both still at the moment exceptional footballers but it's a tough question it really is it really is a tough question I would go for Mbappe just 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 because of maybe he's a bit more versatile in terms of position. He can play out wide and he can play centrally as well, even though I do believe he's more suited to playing out wide, um, cutting in, or he can play uh, on, the, on the opposite side as well, wide right. But that's not, that's not a dig at Haaland. Haaland is just a complete number nine. He's got everything to play centrally. He's a complete striker as we're, Mbappe's just got that little bit more versatility about him and he's a little bit more he's a little bit more fair along in in that development like I said before so Mbappe just but as long as they both stay away from Anfield that'll do me <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I would say it would be better for both of them to choose Jurgen Klopp because who who else is better than Jurgen Klopp yeah well to be if I'm being if I'm taking my Everton hat off here <laughs> And, and speaking about them with my football brain, then I would actually say Kylian Mbappe right now, if he was to leave PSG this year, would be making a very good move if he went to Liverpool. Because I believe Klopp's style of play at Liverpool and the way Liverpool play would suit Mbappe down to the ground. I, I don't know how it would work with Salah. You might have to ship Salah out, but he would be the next best thing. He would be that. He would be that player. He would be the the perfect replacement. But if I'm speaking about Haaland and, and, and I'm being completely honest here, I don't think he should make a move to Liverpool if the opportunity came right now. Because I believe what Firmino is asked to do and what he does in that team to bring the best out in the others, well, in, in Salah, Jota and Mane, if you asked Haaland to do that, then you would be taken a lot away from his game. So right. I don't believe it would be actually in his best interests to go and play with Liverpool the way they currently currently play right now. Right. Fair, fair, fair opinion there. So yeah, mm-hmm. that 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 brings us to the end of this episode. It has been a pleasure speaking to you again, Chris. Yeah, pleasure. Looking forward to the season taking ship taking yeah. shape now. Uh, because the international breaks are over, well, until March anyway. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with the, uh, not only in the Premier League, but across Europe too. Yep, absolutely. Same same here as well, mate. And thank you once again to all our patrons and listeners for tuning into our episodes. If you like yeah. the content that we produce, if you like our podcast, join us on Patreon and get more benefits. 
we'll have some really amazing guests coming in over the next three months as well so join us on patreon as soon as possible if you like our content and want to move a level up so that's it with this episode until the next episode bye bye take care